0: This is a Rooster Teeth production. November 4th, 2010. Qantas Flight 32, an Airbus A380, the world's largest passenger airplane, is taking off from Singapore's Changi International Airport to undertake a seven-hour flight to Sydney, Australia. This is an important flight for Captain Richard Champion de Crespigny, as his performance is being evaluated by two other captains in the cockpit with him. Five minutes after takeoff, the crew hears two loud bangs and their computer begins displaying errors. From what the crew can tell, the number two engine on the plane is overheating and has possibly failed. With 440 passengers on board, the crippled plane begins circling as the crew tries to address an ever-growing list of errors on their stricken aircraft. What will become of this behemoth of a plane and the passengers on board? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hey everyone, welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris, and we're back again. Hello. We're talking about planes. We're talking about big planes this episode. Big planes. The biggest passenger plane around the Airbus A380. It's huge if you've seen it at an airport, it stands out. It's like a monster plane compared to the other planes. We'll post a picture on uh, on social. What a great segue, Chris. Yeah. If you want to follow us at Black Box Down Pod on Twitter and Instagram, you'll see uh, I've got some great comparison photos showing exactly how big like an Airbus A380 is compared to like a 737, which is something most people are probably more familiar with. It's probably a plane they fly on a lot more frequently. Airbus A380, it's the huge one. It's got four engines and it's got two levels going across the whole plane. Uh, Double-decker. Right, we've talked about the 747 before, and that has a second level on the front of the plane, but you know, only one level on the rest of the plane. The A380 has two levels across the entire plane. Massive, huge. I think when this plane came out, airports had to extend their runways to make them bigger to accommodate this plane. They had to get new jet bridges because this plane boards both levels at the same time. You know, normally when you get on a plane, you just like walk down Uh the little ramp and you get on the plane. To get on this plane, there's two different options. If you're seated on the top, you go up onto that level. If you see on the bottom, you go down onto that level. So it's like in order to get people on and off as quickly as possible, you know, whole airports had to be renovated to accommodate this plane.
1: It seems like a little like... To be like, hey, air, all airports, change
0: everything for my chonky plane. <laughs> they wanted it. I mean, uh, yeah. it accommodates more passengers. Uh, if you remember, God, it's been a while now, like in the late 2000s, if you ever complained about flying into LAX because it was under construction, it's because they were extending the runways for this plane. Uh, I, I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole here, but uh, it, it's being phased out. It, it, the I think Airbus is going to phase out production of it next year in 2021. It's not selling as many as they had hoped. Mm. Yeah. It didn't have a long life then. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting plant. I've only ever flown on it once. Uh Um, I, there, there's some other great videos I've seen. I'll, I'll link them on our social media. Uh, other people who, who delve into the economics of the airline industry, and like that's their specialty, have examined this quite a bit. And I've watched these videos. Super fascinating. I'll link them. Not the focus of our podcast. <laughs> Plain economics. I mean, It's something else that I'm interested in, but hmm. I don't know nearly as much about. So I cannot speak uh, with any kind of authority on that. Not that I'm a pilot. Or, I can't speak with any authority here either, but <laughs> I do it anyway. People can't stop me. All right. Qantas Flight 32. Like I said, Airbus A380. It was actually a regularly scheduled passenger flight from London to Sydney, uh, but it had a stopover in Singapore. And uh, this particular flight was on November 4th, 2010. Uh, The captain of this flight, um, uh, he has a really long name. I'm going to do my best to say it again. The captain of this flight was Richard Champion de Crispigny. He had over 15,000 flight hours. And the first officer was Matthew Hicks. He had over 11,000 flight hours. And the second officer was Mark Johnson, and he had a little over 8,000 hours. But you said there were two captains evaluating him? If he had all those
1: hours, it was because it because it's his first time flying this plane or what? It's like a regular checkup. Okay.
0: You remember, like, when you were in school and every now and then, like, uh, an administrator would come in and supervise mm-hmm. your teacher and make sure yeah. they were doing their job? Tra- like, same kind of thing. <laughs> Just like a regular, someone's there to make sure, hey, do these people really know what they're doing? Uh, and okay, oh, so like you said, there, there were two other captains in the cockpit as well. They're They're known as check captains. And their names were David Evans and Harry Wubben. Wubben? Wubben. W-U-B-B-E-N. Nice. So, like I said, they're, they're just performing oversight. They're doing safety and qualifications uh, for commercial pilots. They're just under evaluation. And one of them was also a captain who was being trained as a Czech captain. Ugh. Okay, so let's go over this again. There was the captain, the first officer, the second officer, the Czech captain, and a Czech captain in training. So there were five people in the cockpit.
1: <laughs> and there's not are there, there's not normally two officers like a first officer and second officer
0: right this is one of those cases where it was a really long flight and so mm-hmm. they had crew that they were rotating through uh but you're right i don't think we've mentioned a second officer before uh we have had incidents before where we had two first officers if you remember uh, air france 447 which went down over the atlantic mm-hmm. uh they had confusion because they weren't sure which first officer was in charge when the captain left so i think this establishes a little more clear chain of command whereas the captain first officer second officer so Five people in the cockpit at the time of the incident. And this aircraft was a two-year-old Airbus A380, which had 8,538 hours on it and 1,843 cycles. And for people who have not heard some of our previous episodes, a cycle is just the entire flight. From being on the ground, pressurizing, taking off, coming back down to the ground, depressurizing. That's one cycle. Like I said, the Airbus A380 is the world's largest passenger airliner. There are bigger planes, but this is the world's largest passenger airliner. And it was first announced in 1990 to challenge the Boeing 747, which is the other big plane I mentioned that we have talked about in the past. In 2005, the first prototype was unveiled and it made its first flight on April 27th, 2005. So, I mean, between then and the time of this incident, it hadn't been that long. Yeah. Uh, Singapore Airlines was the first airline to receive an A380 on October 15th, 2007. And over the years, Airbus has delivered 242 A380s with 115 of them going to Emirates. So one airline alone accounts for almost half of all of these planes. Dang. Uh, Like the 747, the A380 has an upper deck, but the A380 has two decks running along the full length of the plane, whereas the 747, the upper deck was just in the front. And it can seat uh, between 500 and 550 passengers, uh, but some variants can hold up to 800 passengers. 800? Right, that's a lot of people. And so like the 747, it also has four engines. And the A380 has a length of 238 feet, a wingspan of 261 feet, and a width of 23 feet, and a height of 79 feet. So if you think about it, what I just said there, the wingspan is greater than the length of the plane. It's huge. yeah, And... The maximum takeoff weight for this plane is 1,267,658 pounds.
1: One million?
0: Yeah. uh, That's so much weight. In fact, it's so much weight. It's one of only three aircraft classified as super. Uh, The others being the uh, Anatov AN-225, which I believe we briefly mentioned once, which is the largest airplane that exists. And the scale composites model 351 straddle launch, which is a new experimental aircraft with two fuselages uh, that made its first flight in April of 2019. Uh, So when I say it's designated super, that's how air traffic control refers to it. Like they refer to most planes without a designation, then some planes that are bigger over a certain weight will be heavy. uh, And then the A380 is what's considered super. Uh, but these days, airlines are favoring newer planes like the Airbus A350 and A330 NEOs, uh, and even like the Boeing 787, which is a smaller plane, but also, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, a dual aisle passenger plane. So Airbus announced that they're actually going to end A380 production by 2021. Okay, enough background. Let's, <laughs> enough, <laughs> other, enough history. Let's talk about this specific incident. Uh, On this flight, the leg from London to Singapore was uneventful. Uh, At 9.56 a.m. Singapore time, flight 32 took off from runway 20 center at Changi Airport and headed for Sydney. Uh, There were 24 flight attendants and 440 passengers on board. At about 10.01 a.m., which is about five minutes after takeoff, the plane was climbing through 7,000 feet and the crew heard two loud bangs. They immediately stopped their climb, leveled out, and experienced a slight yaw on the aircraft. Yaw? So there's like different pitches of axis on a plane, depending on how you're going. Uh Yaw is like, imagine kind of like slipping in one direction. Okay. Like not a roll. You picture a roll, you know, like banking left and right. Like a yaw is like on the other axis. Okay. So the captain stated that at this point, he expected the aircraft's auto thrust system to reduce thrust so uh, that they maintained 250 knots as they leveled out. But the auto thrust system deactivated. Hmm. The plane's electronic centralized aircraft monitoring system... Uh, They call this ECAM. If I say ECAM in the rest of this episode, it's Electronic Centralized Aircraft Monitoring System. So the plane's ECAM displayed a warning message indicating that the number two engine turbine was overheating. Soon after, the ECAM started displaying warning messages that included hydraulic pressure errors, inoperative wing slats, partial control of the ailerons, reduced spoiler control, a switch to alternate law. We've covered alternate law before. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple brake system messages, and auto thrust and auto land inoperative. So, everything. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a cascading list of errors and problems. So, the captain instructed the first officer to start attending to the procedures presented on the ECAM as he took control of the plane. So, all these errors pop up. The captain says, I'm taking over. First officer, you work the computer and figure out what all these errors mean and start dealing with them. And at this point, are they trying to go land somewhere and like not yet? Uh, So the first thing they want to do is figure out what the problem is. You know, they're uh, they've leveled out. They're staying at their existing altitude and they're you know addressing what is going on. You know, they need to figure out what that is first and foremost. So the ECAM told them that their engine was overheating. Mm-hmm. So the procedure for engine overheat message is to reduce the engine's thrust to idle and monitor it for 30 seconds. Okay. During that 30-second period, at 10 or 2 a.m., the crew transmitted a pan to Singapore Air Traffic Control. And PAN is an internationally recognized radio call that announces a situation that affects the safety of an aircraft or occupants, but the flight crew does not require immediate attention. Hmm. So I'm sure you're familiar with like a Mayday call. If they required immediate attention, they would declare Mayday. When they declare PAN, they're basically saying, hey, we got a problem. Leave us alone for a bit because uh, we're going to try to figure out what's going on. But it's letting people know in case things go bad. Right. And also to let air traffic control know, like, keep people away from me. Don't bother me. Uh, I'm going to circle for a little bit. So when this pan call is being made, the first officer noticed a fire warning for the number two engine, and that was only up for like a second or two. Uh, The crew then elected to shut down the number two engine, and while they were in the process of shutting down this engine, the ECAM displayed a message saying that the engine had failed. In response, the crew determined there might be some serious damage done to the engine, and they discharged one of two fire extinguishers for that engine. However, when they did this, they did not receive a confirmation message that it went off. So to be safe, they discharged the second fire extinguisher, but they did not receive a confirmation for that either. So they just continued with their shutdown process. Uh, because their situation was not immediately threatening, the crew decided the best option for them was to maintain their altitude and a holding pattern while they walk through the procedures for all the things displayed on the ECAM. Hmm. So, like we've talked about before, there's procedures for everything. At this point in the situation, they assess nothing is critically bad. We're not crashing. Let's go through uh, our checklist and procedures and and address every one of the errors that we're getting right now. See, that's scary to me. I'd be like, let's land. <laughs> yeah, but you don't you don't know what's going on yet. You don't know yeah. if you can. I'm going to give you a little more details here in just a bit about that. So air traffic control had them in a holding pattern just east of the airport over the water at an altitude of 7,400 feet, and the crew said they would need about 30 minutes to work through their procedures. While they were holding, air traffic control advised them there were reports that a number of aircraft components had been found by residents of Batam Island, located just south of the airport. What? Like parts of the plane were found? Right. So uh, air traffic control letting them know, hey... Just so you know, pieces of your plane are found, have been found (laughs) uh, uh, south of the airport. Do with that what you will. Don't know what Uh. you guys are doing, but just so you know everything that's going on, you know, just trying to give them a full picture. So while the crew was trying to work through their situation, the flight attendants attempted to contact them to tell them they could see damage to the aircraft. The flight crew didn't respond at first, but eventually the second officer left the cockpit so he could go visibly assess the damage. As he made his way through the cabin, a passenger stopped him, and it just so happened the passenger who stopped him was also a pilot for Qantas. What? what? <laughs> there's too many pilots on this plane, Chris. Well, I
1: guess when you when it's a plane that holds like 500
0: people, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Does there's <laughs> five pilots in the cockpit. There's another pilot who's a passenger. Uh, so this passenger uh, stops a second officer, and he shows him that there's damage on the plane. And the way he showed him that there's damage on the plane is. In the in-flight entertainment system for the passengers, one Uh of the options they had was to look through a camera that was mounted on the tail of the plane oh so if the passengers viewed this tail camera they could see that there was damage to the plane it showed that there was fuel leaking from the left wing oh no yeah it's kind of scary i <laughs> mean are passengers all freaking out at this point i mean they're I'm, I'm sure that they're worried you know they heard the loud bang too and if people uh-huh. are on the left side of the plane they can probably look out and see that there's fuel leaking i guess the people on the right side of the plane can watch it from the in-flight entertainment <laughs> So, the second officer goes downstairs uh, to look out a window, and he reports that fuel looked like it was leaking from the area of the number two engine, but he could not get an angle to see the turbine area. So, he could see that fuel's leaking, but he can't, like, look into the turbine of the uh-huh. engine to see, you know, what's going on. It's also noted that the captain and supervising check captain made numerous announcements to the cabin with updates. So, you know, maybe trying to keep people calm, let them know what's going on. Uh,
1: just is their captain speaking. Uh, some people found part of the plane on the ground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they probably omitted that part. <laughs> remain calm. Yeah, remain calm. Uh, free drinks for everyone. Yeah. So it took about 50 minutes. That's five zero minutes for the crew to work through the procedures that they needed to in order to start making preparations to land. So after they're doing some calculations, they determined that a landing on runway 20 center would be doable. That's the same runway that they took off from. Uh, the flight crew advised air traffic control that fuel was leaking from the aircraft and they would need emergency services to meet them. A interesting little side note here. Uh, the The captain was having the supervising check captain, so he's, he was having the guy who was who was evaluating him. He was having him run the numbers on the in flight computer to see if they could land or not. You know, they have to put mm-hmm. in variables like their weight, wind speed, you know, all these all the variables that they have in order to calculate the speed they're supposed to land at. And if I remember right, um, the supervising check captain told them that they needed to come in at a speed of 147 knots. And that they would have like 160 meters left to spare on the runway. Uh, but the captain was a little worried about that. And he thought that maybe that speed was too low and that they ran the risk of stalling. So he had the supervising check captain rerun the numbers. Uh-huh. Like seeing if they could come in at 167 knots just to be safe. And uh, you know, they reran it. And the, the supervising check captain is like, yeah, you know, we can... We could probably do that. Uh You know, uh, again, they're just trying to be careful. You know, they're running all the numbers and using their experience to try to figure out what the safest thing to do here is. Yeah, it's weird to think like, oh, we need to go in and land faster. It seems counterintuitive, but I guess it makes sense because otherwise you would just fall. Right. You run the risk of stalling. You know, your wing's not generating enough lift. A little bit of a spoiler ends up being the right call because their left wing is damaged. So it's not generating the perfect amount of lift as it normally would. So, I mean, yeah, they, they end up doing the right thing here. The captain then calls the head flight attendant, saying they should prepare for a possible runway overrun and evacuation. Again, they're coming in a little faster than the computer tells them to, so just, hey... We might overrun the runway. Be ready for that. Yeah. Uh, On final approach, the captain set the number one and number four engine to symmetrical thrust and used the number three engine to control the speed of the plane. Hmm. The autopilot was still operating, but it disconnected twice during the approach. And the second time it disconnected, the plane was at 800 feet. The captain decided just to hand fly it the rest of the way in. How many engines are in this one? Four. Four. Okay. And it's the number two engine, which has failed. You know, before they start coming into land, you know, they they basically start testing the plane out, you know, like mm-hmm. giving it inputs and seeing how the plane reacts. And when they're doing this, they realize that the plane's not quite responding the way it should. It, it, it's taking a lot more effort to get it to turn and uh, just like things aren't quite right. So that's why they're being extra cautious in this, you know, giving themselves a little more speed and just being prepared about it. And that's probably also why the captain decides, you know, after the autopilot disengages that he's just going to hand fly it to be safe. Mm-hmm. So the aircraft eventually touches down on runway 20 center at 11.46 a.m. The aircraft came to a stop about 150 meters from the end of the runway and emergency services came in. So, I mean, the computer was pretty close. If I remember right, I think it Hmm. calculated they'd be 169 meters from the end of the runway. So they ended up 150 meters away. Uh, There were no injuries from the crew or passengers. The people on the plane, however, were initially not allowed to get off of the plane. Like I said earlier, the plane was leaking fuel. Oh. And the brakes were red hot from coming in and landing so heavy. So there was fear that a fire could possibly erupt. And in addition to that, the crew was unable to shut down the number one engine. So firefighters were having trouble making sure the plane was safe because they were having to stay clear of the number one engine. They don't want to let people off, even though there's... Fear of a fire, wouldn't that? Well, so the the problem is that like if, if a fire breaks out on the ground, they could try to maybe move the plane away from it. Okay. The other problem is that they're still on the runway, so the, the, in order to get people off, they have to deploy the emergency slides. The captain knows that if they deploy the emergency slides, that between five and ten percent of passengers will get injured. Okay. So you know, ideally, they want to get stairs or a, a safer way for yeah. to get passengers off of the plane. Uh, so it's all part of thinking through the, the yeah. scenarios here. Since the the pilots could not turn off they couldn't shut down the number one engine the firefighters decided to try to get it to shut down on their own so they started you know spraying water into it to try to get it to shut down is that smart well i mean that's what the engineers told them to try to do but planes are designed to fly through pretty bad storms so they couldn't get it to shut down by shooting water into it ultimately i believe they switched to firefighting foam and uh they tried that and i think that's how they ended up shutting it down are they trying to break it with that like essentially they're just trying to extinguish the um the engine okay is basically what they're trying to do we got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode it's the jordan harbinger show which is a podcast you really should be listening to And i know every day somebody tells you you have to listen to some podcast you nod and you say sure and you never listen to it uh do not let that happen here Jordan show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Uh, Each episode is a conversation with a different, fascinating guest, and when I say there's something for everyone here, I really mean it. Uh, One episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which is both useful and disturbing at the same time. Another episode tells the story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. He's also got an episode with Billy McFarland, who was one of the co-founders of the Fire Festival. Remember that guy? And another episode with Oliver Stone, uh, who you may know is a prolific director, producer, writer. Uh, Really, really interesting stuff there. Jordan's always focused on pulling useful, practical insights out of his brilliant guests, and we're not talking about pop psychology or wishy-washy self-help stuff here. The episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life right away. Uh, If that's not worth checking out, I really don't know what is. So we really enjoy the show. We think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Check it out. As guys, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair, uh, from how it feels after getting a fresh cut, the way it's perfectly styled before going out. That's why we, when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time, because let's face it, no guys ever ready to go bald. Uh, thankfully now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? And the best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. Uh, You can get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. But now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months. You can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Uh, They offer generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and more than 100,000 men trust Keeps for the hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatment starts at just 10 bucks a month. For a limited time, you can get your first month for free. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash blackboxdown to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash blackboxdown. Check out keeps.com slash blackboxdown. It turns out that that, remember I mentioned that some debris had fallen off the plane. It turns out that the debris that fell from the plane onto Batom Island fell onto a school, some houses, and a car. Oh no. Luckily, there were no reported injuries from that. Very fortunate. So the investigation for this was carried out by the Australian Transportation Safety Board, or the ATSB. But everyone got off okay. Yeah, like everyone they... gets off the plane fine. I, I guess I should have clarified that. <laughs> Eventually, yeah, they extinguish the engine, they get it to shut down. Firefighters are able to come in, and uh, they get stairs up, and everyone's able to get off the plane. Uh, no, no injuries at all. Wow. So, uh, like I said, investigation was carried out by the Australian Transportation Safety Board, or ATSB. And during the investigation, they found a fatigue crack had developed in the thin wall section of the oil feed stub pipe in the number two engine. So there's like a little oil pipe in the engine, and it had cracked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And during the flight, the crack opened and released oil into the high-pressure and intermediate-pressure buffer space. So the leaking oil ignited and created an intense and sustained fire in the buffer space of the engine and gave some heat damage to the intermediate-pressure turbine disc. The intermediate turbine disc then separated from the drive arm and accelerated in excess of its design capacity and it burst into pieces. And a large fragment of the hot intermediate turbine disc passed through the left inner fuel tank and caused a short duration, low intensity fire, but the conditions in the fuel tank were not sufficient to sustain combustion and a hazardous fire did not occur. And the oil fire also self extinguished. So basically oil shot into the engine, caught fire, caused a disc to get really hot, go too fast, explode. It tore into a fuel tank, Caused another little fire, but both of those Jeez. fires went
1: out. So this that's why it was like the initial boom and then like things started messing up over time. Like because it was all the that chain reaction.
0: Right. And essentially all these different little pieces of shrapnel pierced the wing and went through different parts that control the plane. So like think about all the wiring and control mm-hmm. cables. Like a lot of them got damaged by this shrapnel that, uh, that shot through the wing. And of course, like I said, uh, the plane was leaking fuel because one of the fuel tanks was punctured. Mm. The ATSB found that during manufacturing the Rolls-Royce Trent 900 engine, we've talked about this engine before. (laughs) So the ATSB found that uh, during manufacturing the engine, there was movement of the hub during the machining process. And this resulted in a critically reduced wall thickness within the counterbore region of the oil feed stub pipe. So basically, during manufacturing, one side of this little oil pipe was thinner than it needed to be. Okay, So it's like... The pipe got made, one side was the appropriate thickness, and the other side was just a little too thin. And this mistake uh, was neither detected or declared during inspection and was released into service. On November 10, 2010, the European Aviation Safety Agency issued an emergency airworthiness directive ordering airlines using the Trent 900 engine to conduct frequent and stringent tests. There would be an extended ground idle run and more frequent inspections were made to the turbine disks. However, a few weeks later... Uh, The EASA, that same agency, eased back on these inspections due to the progress of the investigation. On December 2, 2010, the ATSB recommended a one-off inspection of the relevant Trent 900 engines within two flight cycles. And on December 8th, the ATSB reported that 45 engines had been tested so far. And of these, three engines uh, had failed inspection and were removed from service. So they found more engines with this problem. Well, that's good. I think that's the theme of this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> Something goes wrong. What went wrong? Let's find out. Oh, this is what went wrong. Let's fix it. <laughs> that's yeah. That's essentially it for for every incident, which is why air travel is so safe. So on May 18th, 2011, the ATSB stated that 53 of the Trent 900 engines were removed from service. The ATSB also noted that the flight and cabin crew managed the event as a competent team in accordance with standard operating procedures and practices. So again, they exercised proper crew resource management. They went through their checklist, didn't panic, communicated well. All the things that we talk about that they need to do, all of that was executed perfectly. So I guess the captain passed his test. (laughs) I think the captain passed his test. I, I saw an interview with the captain where he says that uh, this incident was like being in a in a simulator where everything just starts going wrong, <laughs> you know. Uh, so he, uh, you know, I guess you know after having practiced in the simulator, he was viewing it from that perspective and was like, "All right, was just just got to go through the checklists." Uh-huh. So immediately after the accident, Rolls Royce shares fell five point five percent, which was their sharpest fall in eighteen months, and shares in Airbus also fell. By November eighth, the shares had fallen by more than ten percent for Rolls Royce. Both Qantas and Singapore Airlines grounded their A380 fleets because they all used the same engines, but Singapore Airlines resumed operations the next day. Qantas kept their A380s grounded due to new issues being discovered in their engines. Singapore initially stated they didn't find reasons for concern, but then found three engines on three different planes had issues, and those three planes were grounded. On November 10th, Lufthansa announced the replacement of an engine as a precautionary method, and by the end of January 2011, Qantas resumed full normal operation with their A380s. The plane in this accident did not return to service until April 2012, however, uh, due to damage it had suffered. So it was out of service for quite a while. Two years, was it? Uh, about a year and a half because the incident was in November 2010. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, it was a long time before it uh, finally got back into, into action. On June 22nd 2011, Qantas announced it had agreed to compensation of 95 million Australian dollars from Rolls-Royce. The estimated cost of repairing the plane was $139 million that consisted of four new engines, a repaired left wing, and six kilometers worth of new wiring and extensive testing. So Rolls-Royce, uh, they didn't fully compensate, even though their engine was the problem? No, I mean, we've kind of touched on things like this in the past where these companies have to work together. So they're not out necessarily to, how can I say it? They're not out to harm each other. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Qantas is still going to need engines. Rolls-Royce still needs to sell engines. They want to try to come to a fair agreement where they're happy with the resolution of this incident, but they can continue doing business together. Yeah. So one other thing I wanted to highlight there, I said that part of the repair for this plane involved needing six kilometers worth of new wiring. That's about three and a half miles of wire that was needed to repair this plane. Think about how much wire must go into making one of these planes.
1: Yeah, because only one
0: half of it was damaged. Or like one engine.
1: Yeah, and it had
0: <laughs> had that much wiring. So if you wanted to guess how much wiring is in an A380, how much would you guess? So this one repair took six uh-huh. kilometers, which is about 3.6 miles worth of wire. How much wire do you think total goes into making one A380? 30. 30 kilometers. 30 kilometers. 30 kilometers would be about 18 miles worth of wire. One A380 has 530 kilometers of wire. 530? Yeah, which is equivalent to 330 miles. Oh my God. God, that's a lot of wire. There's a lot of wire in these planes. I mean, just think about that. Next time you're on a plane, <laughs> like, there is so much wire that goes into one of these things. God. I feel like we would be remiss if, in talking about this incident, we didn't talk about another incident. There's a, there's another one that's very similar. I want to touch on it a bit here before we wrap up. So uh, there's Air France Flight 66, which is a very similar incident that happened also on an A380 in 2017. So here, a lot more recent. On September 30th, 2017, Air France Flight 66 was flying from Paris to Los Angeles. The plane was cruising at flight level 330, which is 33,000 feet, over the Atlantic near Greenland. The crew made a request to climb to flight level 380, which is 38,000 feet, and it was approved. And a minute later, the titanium fan hub of the number 4 engine separated. Debris flew out and damaged the wing and airframe, and the engine failed. The damage could not be seen from the cockpit or the cameras on the plane, so one of the crew members left the cockpit to look at the damage from the upper deck. The captain started a descent and declared a mayday. So not a pan, a mayday. Mm -hmm. They diverted to Goose Bay, which is a Canadian forces base, and landed on runway 26 with no injuries. The passengers, however, were not allowed to leave the airport because the number of people exceeded the handling capabilities of the immigration personnel and accommodation of Goose Bay. So meals were served on the plane, and only a few passengers were able to go into the airport terminal. So basically, everyone was stuck on the plane until the next morning when the new plane showed up to take people to their destinations. Uh, which is crazy to me. Can you imagine? It's like, yeah, we have uh, we had a problem with our plane. Don't worry. Everything's fine. We're going to land. You all can't get off the plane. You're sleeping yeah, on the plane yeah. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> sleep well. Oh, uh, <laughs> It must be so frustrating. Uh, to, but I'm sure everyone's happy. Happy that they're alive. That they're okay, right. That there wasn't a serious issue. But then it's like, all right, yeah, everyone just go to sleep on the plane tonight. Yeah. So the BEA did an investigation and they actually just released their final report in September of 2020. So when we're recording this, it just came out last month. They found a fragment of the fan hub in South Greenland under the ice 21 months after the accident. What? I mean, yeah, like we've talked about before. These investigations can take a long time. (laughs) Uh, So it took them 21 months to find uh, a fragment of the fan hub. Were they looking for it or was it just found? So they had been looking for it. Uh, They failed to locate any of the components in 2018. Then they gave up for a little while. Then they went back in 2019. And that's when they found it. Okay. Okay. And uh, they, in 2019, they also found another missing piece of the engine, which weighed 150 kilograms, which is what, like 330 pounds. Uh, so it takes them a little while to find, a, mm-hmm. find the pieces. I wonder whose job that is. Go look for plain pieces on the ground. <laughs> I'm sure it's the part of the accident investigators. They probably uh, recruit people to help them out there locally as well. So they go ahead and analyze this fragment of the fan hub that they find. And they discover a crack caused by a cold dwell fatigue phenomenon. Um, I'm going to try to explain that here in a bit. Uh, according to the BEA, the origin of this type of crack was not fully understood at the time of the accident and is still not fully understood today. But this crack caused a failure that happened after only 1,650 cycles, when the predicted number of cycles the hub would be good for was 15,000. So just over 10% of the number of cycles that it should have been good for. Okay, so here's the best definition of a cold dwell crack that we could find. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's, from, uh, it's taken from the reports on page 78 of the report. Cold dwell fatigue cracks are initiated in macro zones, the presence of which is inherent to the manufacturing process of forged titanium parts. The macro zones generally appear during the process to convert an ingot into a billet and are then reduced during the subsequent forging process by means of various successive thermomechanical treatments. So this has to deal with the... The forging of the titanium Mm -hmm. some of these things we talked about before we talked about this i think in united 232 about how uh, titanium has to be forged uh and i believe in a triple vacuum in order to reduce the uh, okay yeah micro cracks uh it's uh, again i'm not a metallurgist i i don't know uh, about metallurgy i know we have some listeners who've reached out in the past uh if you're one of those listeners who understands uh, metallurgy send us a tweet or send us a message on instagram (laughs) uh let us know uh about cold dwell fatigue cracks if you know about them Uh, So the engines used in this incident were Engine Alliance GP-7000 turbofans, and the FAA issued an emergency airworthiness directive affecting all Engine Alliance GP-7270, GP-7272, and GP-7277 engines. The directive required a visual inspection of the fan hub within a timescale of two to eight weeks, depending on how many cycles the engine had operated. And this this is just recently. Right, yeah. And so in June of 2018, the FAA released another directive requiring further testing of the fan hubs in the GP7000 engines to check for cracks in the slots that attach the fan blades. The engine manufacturer has since designed a new blade lock ring to help keep the fan blades from breaking apart. If a situation like this happens again, uh, this particular plane was ferried back to Europe for repair and returned to service January 15th, 2018. And these are the only two engine failure accidents of the A380. The A380 still has no fatalities or any serious accidents Hmm. that have happened since they entered service. Uh, It was just these two weird incidents that uh, I felt we should talk about. You know, this is, a, this is a newer plane, and these are more recent incidents. I know uh, sometimes people want to hear things that, you know, maybe are a little more uh, recent. This uh, Air France 66, you know, like I said, only happened a little over three years ago. It's bizarre that, you know, we would have answers about it this quickly, you know, even though it takes them a long time yeah. uh, to put together the information. It's, this is still pretty fast in terms of uh, uh, accident investigation. So, um, I mean, that about wraps it up. I think the A380 is an interesting plane. Uh, I wanted to cover some incidents that uh, that involve it, and these are these are the two <laughs> that, that are yeah, available. That's it. That's the- it. That's it. So hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast. If you do, leave us a good rating. Uh, give us some feedback. Follow us on social media at BlackBoxDownPod on Twitter and Instagram. We're always uh, trying to post stuff related to the episodes. Sometimes we post things that listeners send to us. We have a, a couple of cool uh, videos uh, that we've posted like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, share us uh, with a friend. Share, uh, yeah. sh- share this podcast around. Share the love. Someone... Who has a cat? <laughs> Find someone who has a cat and be like, you know what you could do while you're cleaning a litter box? You could listen to Black Box Down. Have we done that one? Have we done cats before? I don't think... We've done dogs. I don't think we've done okay. cats. Okay. Yeah. But, someone with a cat. This is a podcast they can really sink their teeth into. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing my best here. <laughs> if you'd like to see uh, a little more of us, we started making some videos over at roosterteeth.com. It's uh, us flying around in Flight Simulator, exploring areas where various incidents that we've talked about have happened. Like recreating them, sort well, of. As best as we can. Again, I'm yeah. not a pilot. <laughs> and uh, not all the planes that we talk about are in the game, but we'll try to recreate it as best we can uh, so you can watch us fail spectacularly. Uh, yeah. Just head over to roosterteeth.com and do a search for Black Box Down and... I mean, you'll find this podcast, obviously, and you'll also find some of the new videos that we're trying out. So these videos are
1: uh, first only on Rooster's which is a, the equivalent of like a Patreon for Rooster's Teeth. And so, you know, by subscribing, you're really helping us out. Uh, if, you, if you like the show, please consider doing it. Uh, and we want to, you know, provide extra content for people who do subscribe. So yeah. thank
0: you so much. And if you just want to check it out, there's a free trial you can try out uh, if you just mm-hmm. want to take a peek around for a little bit. Uh, all right. So we'll see you guys again next week. Thanks a bunch for listening.